Hello all and welcome back to another episode of Movies and Us, a weekly gathering place filled with conversations about movies, stories, and connection. My name is Jennifer Hahn. And I'm Sarah Callen. And today we are going to be reviewing the film Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. All right, Sarah, do you want to kick us off with an IMDb summary for Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 first? Sure. Ethan Hunt and his IMF team must track down a dangerous weapon before it falls into the wrong hands. All right. And we are joined by a very special guest today for this episode. Zach has joined us. Zach, do you want to introduce yourself to folks? Of course. Uh, I'm Zach Perlstein, the founder the founder and editor-in-chief of the Boardwalk Times. Boardwalk Times is a multimedia destination for Disney and theme park fans. And yeah, I'm really happy to be on the pod, Sarah and Jennifer. Yeah, we're excited to have you. And I think there's we're going to have a fun conversation with this movie. For sure. Um, yes. Okay, so let's start off with our one-sentence summaries. Uh, Zach, as our guest, would you like to kick us off? Sure. Yeah, I'll kick us off. My one sentence summary for uh, Dead Reckoning is Tom Cruise versus AI. What more can you want? (laughs) Yes. The man believes he's invincible, clearly. So he's taking on AI. (laughs) Yes. Awesome. Sarah, what was your one sentence summary? Yeah, mine is very similar. (laughs) Uh, Mine is AI comes for MI. well played thank you well done well done thank you (laughs) my one sentence summary is psa don't leave the house or the bottom of the ocean without your keys nice (laughs) (laughs) okay so let's dive in let's start off with our initial thoughts and reactions to mission impossible dead reckoning part one it's a very long title um Yeah, and we won't include any spoilers in this section, so we'll talk generally about this movie. Um, Zach, do you want to kick us off and share your thoughts about this latest installment in the MI uh, franchise? Sure. I I really think this film continues to build on in elevating the Mission Impossible franchise overall. Like, I still can't get over the fact how, like, kind of awe-inspiring it was at times and I also just thought they did such a great job where it was like it was part spy thriller but it was also like part cautionary tale about technology and I think it was just really wrapped together nicely like I I would say this might be one of my favorite Mission Possible films yet and I know there's some recency bias there but I had a really good time watching this in the theater i love it oh my gosh yeah i i had that same thought when i left the theater too which is just i had such a good time oh my goodness yeah it's just a absolute ball sarah do you want to share your thoughts about uh this movie well i am going to be the party pooper of the bunch we love Uh, it makes for some good fast good good conversations good podcasting so yeah i i I didn't enjoy this movie as as much as I I wanted to. Um, I I think that there are some really strong elements in this, but I think that the screenplay is just a bit of a mess, and I really I really struggled uh, with with quite a bit of it. Oh, there's there's a lot of 
exposition and dialogue, which I understand that you you need with, with an abstract concept like AI, though I do think that they did a really good job, like you said, Zach, like showing this cautionary tale and, and showing this AI kind of going rogue. Uh, those parts were really, really fascinating to me, but some of the dialogue was just painful to listen to and there was so much of it. Uh, and I really feel like in a lot of ways, this movie gives you both too much information and not enough. And so there were just points where I was like, okay, can I just like fast forward through this? Like, can we move on? Um, but I think that there are good parts of this. But uh, yeah, I I think that this is too long of a movie and uh, I, I was ready t- for it to be over. <laughs> oh man. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's at the bottom of my list for the Mission Impossible. It's not the wow. worst. Okay. But it's it's the in the bottom tier for me, <laughs> which wow. is an unpopular opinion. So here I am to spoil everyone's day. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love it. I mean, it's it's less fun when we all three just agree for an hour together. You know what I mean? So this is good. This is good. Oh yeah. Um, well, Sarah, it's interesting too that you. I'm, I was kind of curious your thoughts because you did your homework before watching this movie. You I put in did. the investment to watch all. Five, five movies? Yeah. Six. No, this is number six, six movies. Yeah, six movies before seeing this one. So you really have sure a recent understanding of of the experience of all those movies. So the fact that you, this is low on your list is particularly noteworthy. Well, and I, I think that's part of the problem too, mm-hmm. is okay. that like I very recently watched all six of the other movies. Um, and I think both uh, Rogue Nation and Fallout are, are so strong. And I just watched those. And so there were certain moments in Dead Reckoning that I was like, okay, but we we saw that in in Fallout and, uh-huh. and that was more fun in Fallout. Yeah. Or you know, so there were these these things that I, I was comparing it to these other movies, and the other movies I think are stronger in some ways than this is. So I think that that contributed to maybe me having higher expectations and having maybe less of a good time because I just saw those so recently. One of those rare moments where it's better not to do your homework. (laughs) Just skip it entirely. (laughs) Show up to the test. I think so. I think so. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, because you have these direct comparisons. That's fascinating. Um, I So at the end of the year, uh, Sarah and I will do our top 10 lists of the year. And Mission Impossible Fallout was on my list for that year uh, because I just had so much fun with it. But I honestly... Forget what happens in that movie. Um, so I kind of went into this uh, pretty with like a pretty white canvas and just had a great time. I think, Zach, you summed it up quite well, which is just I had a good time watching this movie. Um, I It's interesting, though, because I think, Sarah, some of your critiques, I think, are, are really valid. And I had some of the same thoughts. Like the dialogue is pretty rough. They explain just quite literally and and on the nose to you so many things in this movie. Um, and then there's some some action sequences that I think drag a little bit longer than they needed to be. Um, and we can maybe talk about some of those. But like overall, I thought that it was just a really fun time. There's some meaty concepts in here, Zach, that you'd mentioned as well around the idea of AI and truth and what would our world look like when truth becomes um, so unattainable. And I thought those those bits were quite fascinating. And then I thought structurally, because this is a two-part experience, the way that they've um, – without I'm trying to figure out how to describe this without giving too much away – the way that they have like a two-part 
process to this mission, I thought was just smartly done because you can have that satisfying ending of this movie while still being um, excited for and anticipating the next one. So I thought structurally that was a smart idea for them to do. All right. Where, where shall we go first? Do we want to include our spoiler alert so that we have kind of the freedom and full reign to talk about the specific details? Maybe let's include that in here now. So if, if you haven't seen Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, it is available out in theaters. This is definitely a movie that rewards you uh, with the experience of seeing it in theaters. We recommend checking it out before continuing to listen. Okay, now we have full reign. Oh, yeah. Where shall we begin first? Zach, maybe uh, if you want to share some of the parts that really worked for you, I'd be intrigued to hear like what what what's, what some of those aspects were that really stood out to you. And then similarly, Sarah, I'm intrigued to hear the things that didn't work for you as well. Let's start there. So what stood out to me in this, in Dead Reckoning, was first off, Mission Impossible films always bring the action. And I think right now, with our current theatrical landscape, there's not a lot of films that do action on this sort of scale. So the action really stood out to me in this installment. And then also the cast. I think the cast was pretty stellar in this. And I, I know that I wonder if we're going to end up disagreeing here, but I think that Haley Atwell gave a tremendous performance in this film and then I think your recurring characters from previous Mission Impossible films did all great jobs. So those were like the two major things that stood out. And then obviously there's more things I like, you know, the stunts and some of like the filming aspects that they did were all like kind of cool details in my opinion. But I could rave about the action in the cast all day. But I'm curious to hear Sarah and your thoughts, Jennifer, on the action in the cast hey sarah do you have thoughts <laughs> i know no, you do <laughs> when don't i have thoughts it's a problem i know you do yeah um no i i think it 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 was good and and there are certain parts uh of the action that i really enjoyed like uh i really enjoyed the uh airport scene and oh, yeah. I thought that that was yeah. so fun. And we yeah. had so many different things going on, so many different competing interests. You know, you didn't you didn't really know what was going to happen. You didn't also understand who all the players were. So like that was super fun and intriguing to me. Um, and it was a really good introduction of Grace too. And and we got to see how she's very good at her craft, but also she has no knowledge of Ethan's world. And so that makes for a little fun juxtaposition as, as she's working with him. Um, and then, you know, the big climactic action moment that we saw in the trailers where he just flings himself off of a mountain. Like (laughs) that was insane. Like, holy crap. That was such a cool scene to me. Like that little moment where he launches himself off a mountain. That was the coolest part of the whole movie. Um, I think I didn't so much enjoy the chase through Venice because I had just watched Fallout and they had that really cool chase through, I think it was Paris. And so I I had that scene in my head. So then this one in Dead Reckoning didn't stand out as much. Um, and then I didn't, I didn't 
love the hanging off of the train bit because uh, some of it just looked fake to me. So like I struggled to really engage with that. So for me, it was it was really hit or miss on some of the more action packed set pieces. Um, and then I, I do agree about the casting, though. I think uh, Haley Atwell did a great job. I think Grace is a good character. I am not sold on how the film positioned her and the film seemed to try and uh, I, I think they tried to put more meaning in the relationship between Grace and Ethan than made sense to me. So I really struggled with with some of those components. But I think Haley Atwell did a great job. I think Grace is a good character. Um, but I my biggest issues are with the the screenplay and the writing and some of the choices that were made around that. I think some of the execution wasn't bad, but I, I, I think the screenplay made some weird choices that, I don't know, made it harder for me to fully engage and fully enjoy. I'm intrigued to hear what some of those are. Me too. You left us on a cliffhanger. Oh, so sorry. Didn't mean <laughs> we gotta to. Know. We got to um, know. <laughs> Let's dive into that, yeah. So I, I think one of the ones that I really struggled with is uh, this this whole thing of like, you are going to lose somebody that you care about, which great. That is a great tension builder. Okay, who is it going to be? And they choose, they make him choose between Grace and Ilsa. And I don't mind making him choose between them. But there was just this constant refrain of, you are going to lose somebody that you care about. And I'm like, does he really care about Grace after he had a moment with her in an airport, pickpocketing each other, and then driving around in a Fiat handcuffed together? Like, is that really enough to build the same care that he has for Ilsa? Like, so I, I think some of the emotions behind that I really struggled with. And then kind of retconning in Gabriel and this mystery woman as kind of like an emotional core for this film, I also really struggled with. So I, I think some of the emotional beats for me just didn't work. And again, like I just watched Rogue Nation and Fallout and both of those movies do emotional stakes so well. And you see Ethan caring for people that he cares about and, and doing everything that he can to save them. So like I had those fresh in my mind. So then this felt a little bit more hollow to me. Uh, whereas if I think if I hadn't just watched those, then maybe I wouldn't have as many issues with dead reckoning as I do. That's fascinating. Yeah. Um, I can, that, that too, I mean, didn't emotionally connect as deeply with me. Actually the idea of him having to choose between, um, his two friends, I forget the names, Benji and uh, Luther, I think. Yeah, yeah. like there, there's a clear history and chemistry there. Uh, I actually forgot who Ilsa was. I, I know that she was in some of the previous movies. I watched a recap video, but I almost needed a little bit of a reminder <laughs> of who she is, <laughs> what their history is. Um, and I thought it was interesting that he moves on so fast. <laughs> like by the end of the movie, he's like all in with grace. And uh, that seemed a little fast to me, but yeah, it, it, 
to me, I can see how that feels a little hollow and perhaps because I don't have the previous movies uh, top of mind for me that I was like, ah, it's another one of the tropey action hero things where they can't save everyone. Um, I feel like we've seen this a million times. We saw this in um, Fast X recently as well of Dominic Toretto also not being able to save and provide for everyone that he loves as well. So it, it, it's just a – I kind of wrote it off as just a common trope that we use, but I could see how – if they'd done a little bit of a better job there, perhaps that scene uh, on the bridge in Venice and that whole chase scene actually could have been heightened from an action perspective. Can I just, can I just bring up that uh, the Ilsa Foss thing? I don't know if you two have seen this yet, but a lot of people might be in denial, but they're also bringing up the point that she could still be alive i know we saw her die but like the big thing that everyone's taking from is that you know obviously these are spoilers i know we already did the spoiler tag but like luther later in the movie says to ethan that he has to basically go off the grid he has to become a ghost in order to help Mm -hmm. him defeat the ai so a lot of people and once again maybe they're just in denial because of this happening think that that might be what's happening and that's why ethan just sort of processed this and then immediately moved on to like recruiting grace into imf once again i don't know if that was like a great call due to the emotional build up there but it's also another popular theory kind of running wild on the internet yeah i love that the internet is just it's like, this doesn't make logical sense. Let's come up with a really great theory to explain this maybe poor sc- screenwriting choice. Or maybe it is genius. Because, yeah, we never see him grieve the way that you would kind of expect to see at least a little bit of screen time in their two hours and 54-minute film for him to process the grief. I think there's a, a shot of him kind of looking off into the distance afterwards in the aftermath. But there isn't more beyond that. So I love that the internet's like, oh, yeah, it's because of X, Y, and Z. There's more to it. Yeah, I'm in that camp because, and not for like, my reason is that Ilsa is a really good fighter. Like, we have seen her take down some really like big dudes, some good fighters, and she has held her own. That fight with Gabriel sucked. And so if you're going to kill her off, I need a better death scene than what we got. And also... They killed her off, like they faked her death once in a movie. Why not do it twice? YOLO! We're just out here faking deaths left and right. Why not fake Ilsa's? Well, I feel like as viewers, we're also just trained to never believe that someone's actually dead. You know? Like, at some point, five movies later, they're going to show up in like a uh, ending scene, and there's going to be a gasp, and then it's going to be, you know, the hype for the next movie, like... We just aren't good at killing off our characters in general. Well, um, Palm Clementif's character gets stabbed in this film. Uh, Paris gets stabbed in this film. And, you know, she's perfectly fine by the ending. So I think there is that kind of mentality when we watch films and even TV series now that deaths don't really stick. I mean, it depends on who's writing these shows or films, but most of the time these deaths don't really stick because it's it's a big decision to do. It's 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 hard to kind of pull the trigger with some of these characters and great actors to actually get rid of them. 
Yeah, yeah, that's so true. And uh, it kind of is in reference to Sarah, your point around like just the pressure of having to give a character a proper death that they are worthy of is kind of a daunting task as a writer to do anyway. So you're like, ah, it's fine. We'll just never have to do this. You know, you think about like Iron Man, Zach, this is probably in your world with the Marvels and and, um, the MCU, but we got such a satisfying death for some of our most favorite characters at the end of that phase um, in Endgame. And the pressure of having to write something like that, I think is also just daunting to do as well. In addition 100%. to the like, commerce side of it too. Yeah. Yeah. So Zach, you were talking about the um, the action sequences. And I, I, I want to talk about one of my favorite ones in this movie, which is uh, the the train scene and less the fact that the actual action that's happening on the train scene. But I, I, I think the tension around will he make it there or not and how will he get there I thought was really – really interesting because he says to grace right beforehand i'll be there i promise i'll be there and i just thought that that integration between this action set piece but also this like emotional like character moment for them too um and her trusting learning to trust him and trust that he will show up when he says that he will i just thought that like double layering of I mean, it's thrilling to see Tom Cruise do these big stunts, but also the the tension of we just want him to get there because he promised he would for this character. Uh, I thought that that marrying of those two things together worked really, really well for me. Um, so I, I just I think that is such a great example of when action is done well because it's not just big and showy, but it's also meaningful for the characters that we've now become invested in as well. Definitely. I totally agree with you there. I think that whole uh, train in the lead up to him trying to get on the train, just when he was talking to Benji, was just pretty electric, honestly. They were just kind of, you know, oh, I, you you just missed the train. And they're, they're just like kind of going back and forth because, you know, obviously there's so much going on and we just want him to get get there. But there were so many obstacles in his way. And I, I just honestly love that they do kind of find ways to make the stunts make story sense. Like prime example in fallout is like when him and when Tom Cruise, Ethan Hunt and Henry Cavill's John Lark have to jump out of the helicopter. And it's not like there, there's always a story kind of behind the stunt. So I appreciate that as well about this franchise. And how the stunt goes wrong, too. Like, there is this already difficult thing, or if not impossible thing, that they have to do. But then things go wrong along the way. So you have to see them adapt and change and figure out new ways on the fly. And so that's also fun to see not only the creativity of these characters, but how the tensions and stakes are upped in the middle of already a tense and action-packed moment. So I think that is something that this Mission Impossible series has gotten really good at, is how to take an already thrilling action moment and then up the stakes within that so that we are more invested and more on the edge of our seat. Yeah, and they've somehow also nailed this dimension that they introduce around timing and coordination with each other. I think Zach, you were mentioning this earlier around like 
they there's so many different people that we're cutting to in the action sequences that are figuring out how to coordinate together. The airport sequence is a great example of this. That train scene is also a great example of this, which is that someone needs to be somewhere at a certain time in order for this to work, or there's a sense of pressure there. And I think that helps make the action extra exciting versus just I think one of the reasons why the the car chase scene through I think it was Rome it's the one with the tiny little yellow car there isn't a sense of urgency or like they're late for something or they need to be somewhere because someone else needs a a piece of the puzzle to to hand off to right like it's just we're watching cars zoom through the streets and like destroy everything um, and I think that that yellow car chase scene honestly dragged a little bit by the end it was like okay we get it. It was funny for a bit to see this tiny car and then figure them figure out how to navigate it, but uh, it lasts so long. So that's one of the ones that I think was probably less strong in this movie. I it's it's funny because that one I didn't really. It, obviously, I'm speaking from someone who liked like you know really was over the moon about this film. Has that Top Gun Maverick kind of honeymoon afterglow, <laughs> but. but I think the one thing that the Fiat chase does pretty well is it does give you a sense of danger from different angles because you have the United States operatives led by uh, Shea Wigham and uh, Greg Tarzan Davis and a couple others. They're all coming after Ethan Hunt because he kind of went rogue again. And then you have uh, Palm Clementis uh, Paris coming after Ethan and Grace. So I think I like that they had these combining elements of so many people are after Ethan Hunt and it just kind of raised the stakes for me there. But I can definitely see your the point of view that you brought up because you know once we get down to the train tunnel where where this sequence ends, you're kind of like, well, they're not gonna get hit by a train. Like like let's there's still a hour left in this movie like so I, I can see what you meant there yeah i think that's one of the things that this this movie does well in, in all of its aspects is that there's just so many people after him and like visually they all look different they're driving different cars they're using different tactics and methods you know like that's just visually just fun and exciting for us to see too yeah yeah it ethan goes rogue a lot and uh, it's always a good time for us when he does it. So, mm-hmm. Ethan, keep doing your thing, bro. Keep keep going rogue. Why not? We'll send some more people after you. One little thing that happened, I think it's a quick shot in that uh, uh, car chase scene. As they're going down the steps backwards, there's a baby stroller. And I was like, is this an intentional reference to the scene in Battleship Potemkin with the baby stroller going down the steps, the Odessa steps, like classic, classic film history little reference here. Like I was not expecting to see that in a Mission Impossible movie. I wouldn't put that past uh, Christopher <laughs> McQuarrie. I, I can mm-hmm. see him doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Both him and Tom Cruise are like big cinephiles. And so you can see like classic film references in earlier films as well. So mm-hmm. that does not surprise me at all. Just a little little Easter egg in there. That was so fun. Okay, we haven't talked about yet the uh, kind of 
major theme in this movie around the sentient AI that has gone rogue and this idea of truth. Uh, Sarah, you'd mentioned that you had some qualms with the fact that this movie gives us so much information and not enough at the same time. Did you have thoughts about the screenwriting choices related to this foe that is positioned? And then Zach, I'm curious to hear some of your thoughts on um, the theme as well, because you mentioned it in your initial thoughts. So Sarah, go ahead. Yeah, I I like this idea of, you know, Ethan Hunt versus the AI. Like, I think that that's, that's really fun. Um, but I, I think for me, it's, it almost felt like, it, it almost felt like this, like AI was this kind of like nebulous villain that wasn't maybe as clearly defined because there's these, these little lines that they included like at one point Gabriel is like it is written and I'm like what does that mean like (laughs) are we saying that there's like this prophecy that the AI like I just Uh I went weird places in my brain so it's these these little things that I'm like man I wish that this screenplay would have been cleaned up just a little bit because I think it's brilliant this idea of this AI who is able, and, and Luther mentions this when he's talking to Ethan, where the, the AI can like game out all of these different possibilities and like choose, you know, the, the best outcome or whatever. And, and I think that that is really, really interesting. The, the computational power to be able to, I, it would look like predict the future. Like that is super interesting to me. And so I just, I wish that if, I just wish that the screenplay was maybe more elegantly written uh, and gone through a few more rounds of editing so that some of these things would have been more succinctly said or shown um, rather than it just kind of felt clunky anytime that they were talking about the, the AI. Um, and I'm also really fascinated about Gabriel being in service to the AI, I think that that is really interesting. And I wanted to know a little bit more about that. And I feel like there could have been some really fun things about how did Gabriel get to this point? And, and I, so I just, I wanted to know more about the AI and then the information that they were giving me was not what I wanted to know. So (laughs) I uh, I struggled a little bit, but I I like the idea. I like the attempt, but I just wish that it was a l- executed a little bit better. Zach, what are your thoughts? The whole AI theme, I thought, I just couldn't believe how timely it was, just because of yeah. Obviously, they were they were shooting this film during COVID, but I mean, just in twenty twenty three, this is like the ai era this is when chat gpt like the ai boom really kicked off in my opinion at least this year so it's just so crazy how relevant the theme was and i think that's where i and sarah makes a great point where it's there's some questions i had about the ai it's like well how does the ai communicate with gabriel and the whole well, it was written and like, oh, Paris is going to turn on you. It's like, well, right? <laughs> you know, AI in its current form right now can't do that. So it's like it would be nice to even uh, when the opening sequence of this film with the submarines, like we don't really get any sort of 
idea on who in that sub turned on the crew and how does this AI have this extraordinary ability to do all these things. But I do think the most realistic thing is that if there was ever an AI and they call it in this film, the entity, if the entity was real, (laughs) we would actually see a world war breakout. And I think that's why this film hits its theme like right on the head or it just like hammers it down because the USA would be going after the entity. And it's like what Eugene Kittenridge, um, Henry Cerny says in the film, it's like basically everyone's fighting to control the truth. Because if you think about it, everything is so digital and everything's connected now that if there was one rogue sentient AI, it could wreak a lot of havoc. And that's why I love there's another scene in this film where they have to use uh, the analog they have to use the old satellites and they have to, you know, Benji and Luther have to use analog equipment. And I was kind of like getting super excited because I'm like, okay, this is going to be a pretty epic come part two. If they have to defeat technology without technology, that's going to even, you know, make Mission Impossible even more impossible. And it will be such an epic payoff. But I just really think this theme, it just hits because of the current day but also because of the political ramifications felt very real in this film. And just because it is easy to kind of get people to fall in line with certain things. And AI is still one of those like unknown probability things we have in our world right now that I just think it was very kind of uh, touching. And then I think on a like lighter note, I just think it's more funny because I really do think it's kind of a meta commentary on Tom Cruise versus AI, like with these Hollywood studios wanting to incorporate AI more and Tom Cruise basically going like, no, films will be made by humans. Films can be films are beautiful when they are crafted by filmmakers and actors. AI cannot replace us. It's Ethan Hunt basically just taking a big swing at AI. Like that's like what, at least in my own head canon, that's like the meta commentary behind Dead Reckoning. Mm-hmm. A thousand percent. Yes. <laughs> I love that 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 kind of bigger picture layer that you you teased out of this because I think that is so accurate and and this uh, p- progression forward in the industry of, you know, even just like the, the, the increase, the like abundance, honestly, of CGI effects too. And Tom Cruise's like commitment to doing so many of the sets, as many as he can't possibly humanly can and inhumanly can, uh, is just really fascinating. And even, you know, that, that little intro, welcome that we get from him uh, that he also does in Top Gun Maverick as well of just this was made for you to see on a big screen in a theater thank you for coming to the theater I just thought all of that was also you know very in line with what you were talking about it's it's Tom Cruise versus the direction that the industry is going Um, and in some ways I I I love his uh, passion for that I think that there's there's a healthy amount of tension when there are those people that are like let's let's commit to some of these other things too that are so foundational to our roots and 
uh, where we came from and how do we integrate them in a healthier way instead of swinging so far to the other side of just like you're mentioning the landscape now of just so much AI enthusiasm. It's healthy to have the, the other voices in the picture as well. Yeah. And uh, just fairly quickly, I want to bring up like Tom Cruise is just such a supporter of cinema and film in general. Like I know when he was out promoting uh, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning, he did the now kind of famous photos with director Christopher McQuarrie of getting tickets for Oppenheimer, Barbie and Indiana Jones. And it's just like stuff like that, where it's like, I, I think, and even like what you said, the whole intro into dead reckoning from him and Chris, like them being like, thank you for seeing this on the big screen, how it's attended. It's just that old school vibe that I, I like because I feel like that is starting to fade away in the current landscape. So I'm really hoping that more people go and see the mission impossible film that is out right now, but also go back and watch all the other old mission Impossibles because I do think these are really phenomenal films and they are also done with, a good amount of care. Yeah. And then, then the other thing that I thought was really interesting that, that you'd mentioned as well was this idea of going back to analog <laughs> and the, the many ways that the plans of our crew are thwarted because they realize that the entity has hacked into their communication systems and whatnot. Like Mission Impossible is so great at doing those kind of like head fakes and they've often used it with the masks. And I was one thing that I loved about this film is that they they were they were very strategic in when they chose to use the masks. And I think in other films they'll, they'll use them a lot more heavily. But instead, they're able to use this idea of the AI being able to hack into their systems to 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 create those moments of we're on a roll, we have momentum, we're making progress. Oh no, wait, our communication system's been hacked, and then they have to kind of pivot again. And so I think Sarah, you brought this up earlier, but those action sequences when things go wrong and with this AI and this entity that is like all knowing and all seeing, there's so many things that can go wrong. And I, I hope that we see a lot more of those moments in the part two of this, because I think that it just there's a so many exciting things they can do with that premise. So it was smartly chosen premise as well. And I, I loved that as a premise. I There were just certain moments in this movie where I was bothered because uh, they were making decisions with technology when they knew that they were facing the entity. And so like the, the first time that I was like, what are you doing? Is when uh, Benji and Luther were first uh, like talking about the the entity and this AI and stuff and they're kind of explaining it to Ethan and they were explaining it in a room with laptops and phones and like in my head I was watching this and I was going wait like if you guys are like hackers techie people wouldn't you want to be in a room where there is no technology when you're explaining more about like what this AI is and what it's capable of. Cause presumably if it can like take over all of these things that we've seen it do, it can also listen in on your conversations if it wants to. And then we see like later it takes over comms and all of that. And then that's when they like throw away their computers. Um, and then the other part that I was bothered is uh, in the train sequence when Benji uses the self-driving feature in the BMW. And I was like, that, like, why are you using this very technologically <laughs> advanced car, this technologically advanced mechanism 
when you know that the AI is trying to kill people that Ethan cares about, you know, like that just, that did not make sense to me. So those inconsistencies bothered me, even though I love the theme as a whole, and I am pumped about them going analog. That's going to be so fun. Sarah and Jennifer, I have a quick question for you, for you both. Yeah. Do you think they should have named the sequel to this like a different name? Because you're right, like Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 is just so long to say that I don't know. I feel like it would have been better if they would have just called this one like Mission Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. And then like the next one is called something else. Final Reckoning. Yeah, something. Just (laughs) anything. Like it's just kind of to me, it's just kind of weird they didn't. uh, You know, I thought they were placeholders at first, like because I know Spider-Verse did the same (laughs) thing and Avengers did the same thing as well, where they were placeholders. And then eventually, like part two gets a different name. But then when the movie actually aired, it said part one. I'm like, oh, I we're really going through with this. You know, you don't have a good name when people mistake it for the placeholders. That's a sure sign. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just really it, it is really long. And uh, I mean, I, I do think that at least it makes it clear that this is part one, which they didn't do with Dune. And I know so many people left the theater being like, I didn't realize this was part one of a two-part movie. And so it felt very unsatisfying and choppy where they cut it off. It just kind of ends. And then you're like, wait, is this over? <laughs> we didn't <laughs> get our final climax. Uh, but yeah, the the symbols to words ratio in this is far too high. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's it's a bad movie title, uh, and no, I totally agree. I, I think that this should have been Dead Reckoning, and the next one could be I don't know Mission Impossible, more Reckoning, Throwback, yeah, more Reckoning, <laughs> goes back in time, whatever, yeah, um, goes analog. But I I also think I don't I don't know. There's a a a, a fairly satisfying conclusion of this one so I think it could stand on its own you know some of these other ones uh like we we just watched Spider-Verse fairly Mm -hmm. recently and that's definitely a part one of two and so it kind of ends abruptly but I I feel like this one we do get a, a conclusion there's also a cliffhanger and we know that there's more coming but I feel like they could have removed the part one and this could still be okay and it would be a better title 100 percent. that's one thing that i appreciated that this movie did well is that we get a satisfying ending to this two-part experience we've seen a couple honestly in the past couple of months fast x uh, across the Spider-Verse that just they they end when the character is at a low point, which is kind of an interesting choice. It feels kind of like a downer. Like, how is our character going to get back up from this, you know? <laughs> like, Dominic Toretto in the middle of this bridge that's about to blow up. Like, it ends there. It's Spider-Verse as well. Ends with what is Miles Morales going to do next? Um, and the, the, sh- the way that they've cre- – basically, that the mission is two parts – so they've completed part one. Yay, they get their gold star. Then we can go to the part two. I just thought that was such a wise way to do this. I think especially in an action movie as well, you want the satisfying like, oh, yay, we did it, you know? And when we don't get that, you leave the theater being like, 
okay, I'm just ready to watch the next movie now. Um, so I think that the the idea of having these like two has the key and now we have the key and then we need to go find what the key unlocks is just such smart uh, setup and kind of a skeleton for this. I think we should take all of our important objects and movies and cut them in half and separate them across the world. They did that mm-hmm. in Indiana Jones as well, you know? Like, um, just You can just drag out the story for longer. <laughs> okay, so... What else do we want to cover with this movie before we wrap up? Any other kind of things that worked for you, didn't work for you uh, in this movie? Well, I a lot of a lot of it obviously did work for me, and I had very few um kind of criticisms of it. Really, just because I think I was just so happy with it, I was so happy with the just entire vibe of it. I I do think that. I'm curious to see how they transition this to Dead Reckoning Part 2, though. I am very curious on maybe we have new people in IMF. Is Ethan going to be off the grid? I mean, I'm very curious on Gabriel. I'm also hoping that they kind of figure out how to show us this backstory because a I forget her name, but... Ethan Hunt's love interest before IMF got her own like character poster and everything, but she was only in this film for like three seconds in the flashback sequences when like Gabriel kills her. So I kind of hope whoever that is kind of gets, you know, um, some more backstory because it's kind of confusing on, well, how did Ethan really end up in IMF and, how did Gabriel go all these years without not getting the wrath of Ethan Hunt? Like, so I'm just hoping that they kind of answer those questions, but I also kind of know better because, you know, I watched the previous six, now seven mission impossibles and they sometimes don't build off each other. Well, because they're not like really (laughs) continuously, they're not the MCU. Basically what I'm trying to say, I feel like they're very okay with just dropping you in the middle of, a new story and there's new faces like, Oh, this one's got Jeremy Renner. This one's got Alec Baldwin. Oh, this one's going to have Rebecca Ferguson. And then they just kind of let you go from there, but they keep the same players. And, but like some certain story elements, they just kind of start to ignore after a while. Yeah. Yeah. My, my hope is because this is part one and that is part two that uh, they will have to answer some of those questions because those are really good questions uh, that really need to be answered. I agree. I mean, I just, there's just so much there that they have to. And I, I want both of your thoughts on this, but originally I was under the understanding that Dead Reckoning was like it for Mission Impossible, that part one and part two was going to be sort of the finale for Ethan Hunt. And then now it seems like Tom Cruise is backtracking and he's like, I'll play Ethan Hunt until I'm 80, like Indiana Jones. And it's just kind of, but him at 80, you have to like him at 80, he'll probably look like 60 though. So, I mean, I think, but still, yeah, no, but I was just very curious because I do think that some, might undercut this a bit because I honestly was going into this expecting both films to kind of be like the finale and the conclusion of this era of Mission Impossible because 
obviously with Hollywood, this is a franchise that would be prime for a reboot, like once Tom's done with it. Unpopular opinion, maybe, but I, I'm okay with him continuing to make more of these because I'm here just for a good time. Give me some great action set pieces. Give me some cool spy moments, some little twists and turns in the plot. Like I'm happy. I'm like the, the character stuff I just think is uh, less meaningful to me. Ethan Hunt feels like a, the protagonist of like a video game that I'm watching, <laughs> you know? So I'm okay if they keep making more movies. I Hopefully Tom Cruise learns how to like take care of himself and maybe set some boundaries for what he's willing to do. I'd love that for him. So he stays alive <laughs> for that long, oh, but <laughs> yeah, I'm like, they don't keep going, keep turning them out. Th- this feels like the Fast and Furious movies to me. You know, and and in the same way that they also just like recycle back characters too, and they're not really concerned, like you mentioned, Zach, around creating a an elegant arc, and and be thoughtful and strategic about these characters that reappear in different moments. They're just like, oh, this is could be kind of fun to bring Gabriel back. Let's do it. So, all right. Yeah, I would like Tom Cruise to walk away. Uh, it's been great. <laughs> he's done a great job. Let's end on a high note. Like, and, and I, I, I don't mind the idea of continuing this like mission impossible world and having him be, be supporting and like coming in every once in a while. Cause like this has been Ethan Hunt. So then there would need to be like a transition. Um, and, and I don't mind that. I just, I really, don't want to see 80 year old Tom Cruise trying to like, I don't know, like I can't even come up with something bigger than launching yourself off of a mountain and free falling through the air. Like, I don't want to know what next big stunt he wants to try and do in 20 years, you know, like I, I, I need him to just walk away and, and be okay with being done. But I, I also think part of the problem with that is, and this was a an, an, an interesting trend that I saw as I binge watched the other six movies, was it's the, the whole franchise starts out with the IMF being a fairly substantial organization. And then over the years, now the IMF is just basically Ethan Hunt and whichever friends of his are available. Um, And so then that makes it hard to like transition this to somebody else. I think that's what they're trying to do with Grace and like positioning her as the person for like a spinoff or, or whatever to take over the franchise, something like that. I think that's why we spend so much time with her, why she agrees to join the IMF. Um, But I I think it's going to take some doing if, if this is truly going to be passed off to somebody else, because it's, Ethan as the IMF for many movies. And so it, it would be weird to see somebody else, but I feel like it has to happen. Like, sorry, Tom Cruise. Do you really want to make one of these when you're 80? Like, I feel like that would be rough. I could see him taking a break from it. I could see him taking a break for a bit, but I'm just curious what, what else he can do. At this stage in his career, I mean, he did Top Gun Maverick, you know, Mission Impossible, both Dead Reckonings. Gotta assume he has some more um, projects up his sleeve. Yeah, he's Mm -hmm. trying to save movies for all of us. 
I mean, talk about a real life Mission Impossible, trying to save movies from technology. I mean, really, it is. Yeah. Tom Cruise versus AI. All right. Any other thoughts about maybe what you want to see in the next movie? Exactly. You share some of your your thoughts on what you want to see in part two. Any yeah. anything else? Yeah, sure. I'll, I I would love honestly. I would love Grace as an IMF agent. I would love Paris as an IMF agent. More mm-hmm. Haley Atwell. More Pom Clementif. I would also like maybe you know just more Ethan. Benji and Luther interacting with those two as well. And I honestly wouldn't mind if IMF starts to kind of build itself back up again. I think that'd be kind of cool to see in part two. And I honestly wouldn't mind to see some people from every era of this franchise, maybe come back for even if it's like quick cameos. I mean, I wouldn't mind seeing Jeremy Renner's character again, just stuff like that. I just think would go along long way because this is seems like such a monumental storyline where it's like they're bringing back ethan hunt's past but then also you're going up against the entity so i'm hoping they just kind of throw everything at this next one but really like on a smaller scale level of a prediction i just kind of want to see ethan hunt with grace and hopefully paris as an imf agent and then luther and benji and maybe some other uh new members just all kind of taking out the entity. I think that would just be super cool. And then maybe, maybe you do it as Ethan Hunt becomes the commissioner or the secretary of IMF and he passes the torch to someone. Maybe, maybe you do that, but Hey, who knows? I, I don't know. I'm just pumped for it. I, I love that. I would love to see like Maggie Q come back and Paula Patton come back. Yes, like, there are yes. such good actors that have been in some of the previous uh, films. That would be lovely to see. Um, I am pumped to see Luther just show up with the way to kill the entity. Because to me, Luther is the MVP of Mission Impossible. And there is no Ethan Hunt without Luther Stickle. Amen. And so I want him to have his moment in the sun because he is the best. And I'm excited for him to save the day. <laughs> he has that great speech around like the a they the entity's going to want you to kill Gabriel. It's like, yes, he is the brains behind this. Without that forewarning, Ethan Hunt definitely would have taken Gabriel out. You know, so the man is is intelligent. Yes, he is smarter than the entity, and we they, the team really needs him. Um, I I echo a lot of those things. I don't really need to see a backstory for Gabriel. I I think it would be less actually less interesting to know like how did he become part of the entity. I think it's just the fact of the matter is he's working for him somehow. There's all this, uh, you know, clearly this. Uh, backstory with this revenge that um, Ethan Hunt wants to take on. I love that theme around like Ethan Hunt needing to figure out how to to reel in and manage the the rage that he feels um, and that desire for vengeance. I think that would be a really neat theme. Um, it I think is in line with a lot of these other themes that we've seen with our action hero protagonists of them having to figure out how to like 
wield all of the things inside of them. We saw this with Luke Skywalker. We saw this with Rey. Like, that's just a really interesting theme. And then that be equipping him to complete the mission, I think would be really cool to see too. And then I hope we get some fun twists and turns with um, the entity just hacking into their systems and continuing to just be an agent of chaos. That'd be really fun. Mm-hmm. Always here for the agent of chaos. Yes. <laughs> More of that, please. Just throw wrenches into their plans because it makes it so much for, more fun for us to watch. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Any other last thoughts? We hit them all before we wrap up. I, I think Sarah saying Luther is the MVP made my day because I've thought that for so long. And I've said that Luther Stickle is the heart of this franchise. So I'm just glad I kind of feel yeah. vindicated. I feel like <laughs> my, I, I'm not crazy. My, my take is accurate. No, you are 100% correct. And like, uh, what I love about Luther is that yes, he is this great hacker. He's great at his craft even Benji has to acknowledge that Luther is great at what he does, but he's also so intelligent, like you said, Jen, and mm-hmm. he is so uh, like he has such a high EQ as well and is so good relationally. So he's able to have these difficult and sometimes emotional conversations mm-hmm. with Ethan that other people can't have. Like Luther really is the heart of this and he is what keeps this team going. Ugh, Luther's the best. Ugh. Amazing. That was beautiful. That was a beautiful <laughs> segment there. I loved it, Sarah. All right. Well, this is our review and discussion of Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Still a lot of words. You can find it available out in theaters. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Movies and Us. And thank you, Zach, for joining us and sharing your excitement and passion for this film. Where can folks find more of you on the interwebs? You can find me on Twitter at triple Z underscore 87. And you can also follow my website on Twitter at boardwalk times. But if you want to just get to us directly and, you know, ignore the social media stuff, you can find us at boardwalktimes.net or even boardwalktimes.store. Those are where you can find us. Nice. Perfect. Perfect. We're so glad that you joined us today. Thank you. Thank Our you name for having up. me. Our name sums it up. We're all about movies and the powerful ways we can connect with each other and the world around us. This podcast is about all of us and our shared stories. Everyone is welcome here and we're so glad you hung out with us today. You can subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you tune into your favorite shows. Drop us a review letting us know your thoughts about the latest installment in the Mission Impossible franchise. You can connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at MoviesNestPod, or you can email us at MoviesNestPod at gmail.com. We will be back next week to discuss the film Oppenheimer. We hope you have an amazing week, and we'll see you next week. 